right, good morning to everyone. To those of us here and to those that may be watching online or maybe catching the transmission later on to the recorded version. Welcome to Acts Reform Fellowship. We are going through the book of Mark. And today we start chapter 2 of the book of Mark in which we encounter another miraculous healing of Jesus to a paralytic man. So let us uh, stand, if we are able, to read the scripture for today, which is Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And the scripture reads, And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so that there was no more room not even at the door. And when he was preaching the word and he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, may you bless your word as it is read, as it is explained today. May you give me the grace uh, that is needed for me to be able to edify your people through this passage. And may you uh, have us reflect upon the claims that the Son of Man makes in this passage. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, you may be seated. So today is uh, a day in which the clocks go back an hour, right? So the funny thing is that people say you'll gain an hour, but if you are at all experienced with little kids, there's no way to tell little Zeke, hey, we got one more hour. Go back to sleep. <laughs> All right, obviously that doesn't work. So for those of you that got an extra hour, you know, consider yourself fortunate. Okay, so we come to this passage of the paralytic that Jesus has healed. And to recap a little bit of where we're at in the book of Mark, the previous passage that we went through, it was one in which Jesus healed a leper. 
So we are beginning to see that the ministry of Jesus not only consists of him preaching, which is stately what he what he uh, stated he was here primarily for, but also he shows compassion to the people that come to him. And we saw in the case of the pair, of the uh, the leper in the last passage that the leper was pretty shrewd. And he showed great faith knowing that Jesus had the power to heal him by the power of his word, only if Jesus was willing. So we saw how when he was cleansed because of his faith and because Jesus has mercy towards those who plead with him, Jesus gave him a twofold instruction. So let us just recap that before we move into the passage for this week. Jesus cleansed the leper and he told them two things. One, go and show yourselves, you show yourself to the priests so that he could go and follow the process that was required by the Mosaic law for him to integrate himself back into society. And secondly, he told them not to tell anyone about his healing. That is a little bit counterintuitive. Why wouldn't Jesus want the paralytic man, uh, I'm sorry, the leper man, to go now that he's cleansed and tell everybody outright. And we learned that the reason why Jesus gave this twofold instruction was the following. To show himself to the priest so that if they followed the law according to how it was written in Leviticus, this man would now be declared cleansed and able to come back to society without being an outcast in which the priests, the religious leaders of the time would have to recognize that something miraculous had taken place. By doing so, the, par the leper were ha would have been showing his honor and giving glory to Jesus because Jesus was the one who healed him. So in that sense, the religious leaders would have to recognize that Jesus has divine power to heal. And then secondly, not to go tell, not to go tell people right immediately, because Jesus wanted to go and preach to that region, to preach to them about who he is, about the kingdom of God, about repentance, about forgiveness. But if all of a sudden people think that Jesus has a... a healing mobile campaign, that's all that the crowds are going to be seeking for, and hence, in his practical human limitations, the crowds would just make it impractical for Jesus to do this. So that's the reason why he gave that twofold command. So the leper disobeyed. He didn't do either of the two, as far as we can tell from the text. And we learned that when God blesses us, even after we plead with God, we can also be disobedient right after the fact. And instead of taking that opportunity to show glory to God so that God can be honored, our disobedience prevents that from happening. And then that further hinders the spreading of the gospel. Right? Jesus couldn't go and spread the gospel. And then we concluded by seeing that we are spiritual lepers. 
in the totality of our being, of our humanity, we are declared not righteous. We are declared filthy and in need of a cleansing from our sin, from our disobedience. And we are to really exercise the faith that we saw when that passage opened up as the faith of the leper that knew that Jesus could heal him. Now we come to the next message, which we're, we're discussing today in the Gospel of Mark, in which Jesus now heals a paralytic. The name of the message here that I named it is, Are You a Paralytic? Obviously, physically, at least those that are in this room, no, we're not, right? We can walk, we can move, we can, uh, you know, depend on ourselves to get around and whatnot. But, not so fast, because in the spiritual realm, the Bible shows us illustrations in order for us to become aware of spiritual truths. So when we analyze this passage, as we will today, we will consider some parallels of how similar it is of somebody who is a paralytic to that of someone who is spiritually unable to help oneself. That is that apart from God's calling, apart from God drawing us to Him, we are spiritually paralyzed. And we depend on some external means outside of ourselves if we're going to have any hope of being spiritually healed. So I like to break this into five short points of what we're going to sh uh, share and learn today. We will learn, number one, that Jesus views spiritual wellness more important than physical wellness. Number two, we will learn that God uses means to bring us to Himself. In this case, He used other people. Third, we're going to see that spiritual healing, that is, forgiveness of sins, is on the basis of one's faith. Fourth, we're going to see that Jesus once again claims and proves His divinity. And then lastly, we will see how the crowd was amazed. Right? We've seen this in the Gospel of, uh, of Mark already, that people were amazed. However, that did not necessarily mean that they were converted to Jesus for the forgiveness of their own sins. Alright, so with those five points, let's dig in into the text. Chapter 2, verse 1 reads, And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So Jesus, after healing the leper in the previous scene, we see that he had isolated himself, in essence, trading places with the leper. The leper was at once isolated, he was an outcast because of the societal and uh, Levitical religious norms. And when he becomes healed, he becomes cleansed, the leper now goes into the city, goes amongst the people, normally as a normal person, but now Jesus can't go in. So now the outcast, the one that needs to be in isolation, is Jesus. So he was in isolation for some point, for some time. And now we see that he's back to Capernaum. 
we notice that the text here says that it was reported. Meaning that people were on the lookout for Jesus to come back. And as we will start to see more and more throughout the account of the Gospel of Mark, is that when people came and looked for Jesus, it was hardly ever because they were seeking Him for who He was, because they were looking for Messiah, because they were looking for forgiveness of sins. And we'll see this even here today. But it was more because they were looking for a miracle, for a sign to be fed. So now that it was reported that he was here, now immediately the house that he's in is swarmed with people. To the point where, as we will see in this passage, it becomes impractical for anybody to try to reach the house, to go into the house, to hear what Jesus was preaching. So we see here that Jesus was there in that house, and He came to heal. I'm, I'm sorry, He came to preach, not primarily to heal anyone. And this becomes clear on how He handles what is about to happen. Verse 2 reads, and many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. So here's a relatively large crowd, a packed house. And it says that Jesus was preaching. Now, if Jesus wanted fame, if he wanted to make this more of a spectacle... Maybe we would read something like, And Jesus was performing great signs one after another, asking if anybody else wanted to be healed, and creating all kinds of miracles for the crowds. But no, we see that that's not what Jesus was seeking. Instead, we see that He was preaching the Word to them. So this comes to the first point that we mentioned that we will learn. That Jesus values spiritual wellness over physical healing. Because he was primarily there not to heal people. We read in Mark 1.38, he said, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. In Luke 4.43, similarly we read, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. Now, let us be honest about, about this first point here that we're, we're considering. In our limited human understanding, if we're honest, it is difficult to accept that. That spiritual healing is considered by Jesus more important than a physical healing. And this especially rings true when this hits home. If we have perhaps a sick parent, I mean a sick child, especially if that child would be a, a baby, in which we are pleading with God to please heal my son, heal my parent, my mom, whoever that, that might be, especially when that condition is one that is visible. Someone who has a need to be 
cared for or to make their their disability easier to bear I mean we have technology we have wheelchairs we have um, computerized gadgets which can work even with the sensing of the eye if the person cannot talk they can communicate and this is relatively new I mean even within our lifetime we've seen a lot of this improvements but I mean this is not the case here even decades ago I mean let alone millennia ago in biblical times if someone was a paralytic they're basically left you know to their own I mean somebody would have to bring them food and have enough you know enough care within them to just let them not die just by taking the food perhaps even help them to clean themselves once in a while but the state of this paralytic man is basically one of despair there's no hope for him and yet we see that four men who are faithful friends of this person or maybe relatives of him carry him to where Jesus is this is not something that this man could have accomplished on his own by any means the point being then that in and of himself the paralytic would have had no way of moving himself to come and meet Jesus that was not possible so we see here a couple things first the willingness of the four friends to help their friend now they knew they couldn't heal him but as we looked at this passage because of how Jesus commends them for their faith, we see that they know friends here is absolutely determined and they are desperate. As in this desperate case, they have recurred to desperate methods and even creative methods when they see that they cannot get through. So reflecting on this, do we remember in our days before coming to Jesus and knowing Him as Lord and Savior, was there ever someone or more than one person that was diligent and willing to bring you to Jesus in that sense? To be a witness to you? So may we reflect that those people were being faithful friends to bring you to Jesus, knowing that they cannot save you. Nevertheless, they were expressing that faithfulness of knowing that Jesus could save you, and hence bringing you to Him for you to be exposed and hear the gospel and be saved. In my case, I can certainly remember at least one person that shared the gospel with me a couple of times. Now, I rejected the gospel when I heard it at first. But in God's sovereign plan, the person that shared with me knew that it was not up to him for me to be saved. And in the sovereign plan of God, that was used as a seed, which was later watered, and ultimately, God would call me and save me and wake me up through the hearing of the gospel. 
So scripture is very clear on how believers are used in order to witness for God. And that the children of God, those that know Jesus, play a major role in bringing, in bringing others into the kingdom of God. As a quick reference, we can look at Romans 10 verses 14 and then verses 17. I'll just give you a quick brief read of what that says. It says, How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And then verse 17, So faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. So just to name a quick example here, we see that God uses means in order to have us exposed to His Word. And then He grants us faith, which will awaken us to see Him for who He is, so that we can then believe in Him and be saved. Now let us consider the flip side of the question that we're asking here. Was there someone who ever was diligent to bring us to have us exposed to Jesus as his faithful friends did to the, uh, to the paralytic men. Now let us think of the question, now that you're a believer, are you a faithful and loving friend and neighbor and relative that you are diligent and are just convicted to bring a particular person to Jesus, to be exposed, to hear, for you to witness to that person, to tell them about Jesus. And if you are not doing that, or if you haven't done that, or if you have no plans of doing that, why not? We know that God will save. He is sovereign, yes. But we just saw here that one lesson we can take away is that God uses His own people as the means to reach those that are not saved. And we can also take this as a warning not to be disobedient. For us to be those faithful friends as the friends of the paralytic person. To be persistent. To have the faith to know that Jesus will heal them spiritually. And ultimately, to know that the sovereign plan of God is effectuated and happens by the body of Christ, by us. He uses us. So verse number 5 reads, And when Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, here is where, you know, everything just took a major turn. Notice this doesn't say, first of all, that Jesus took inventory of everything they had done, or everything the paralytic guy had done. It doesn't say either that Jesus saw all the good deeds they had performed. And now they were perhaps owed something in return, so Jesus was obligated? No. Nope. Nor does it say 
that they had even earned the right to be heard because of their efforts, right? In our culture, we a lot of times say, well, you know, you kind of need to earn the right to be heard. No, it doesn't say that at all. It does say, however, that Jesus saw their faith. And the faith they had in Jesus was so powerful that they knew that Jesus would have the authority and the power to heal him. This is what led them to that desperate, non-stop, relentless effort. They would not take no for an answer until they came before Jesus. They had zero doubt that Jesus would be merciful to them and to their friend. Is that how we approach Jesus? Taking a look at this? With the attitude of saying, Jesus, I have absolute confidence that you will be merciful to me. A sinner. Or do we come with the attitude, well, you know, I've kind of done well this week. So, what's up? Like, I'm owed something here. What an encouragement for us to see this. To see the faithfulness of these men. And now, Jesus acknowledges the faith of their friends, of uh, the paralytic's friends, and of the paralytic guy himself, the way he addresses them. And now, we move into the very, very, very juicy part here. Against all odds, against the expectation that is evident that everybody wants to see, which is obvious, what do they want? They want their friend to be healed. Jesus, as he always does, throws everyone off and takes it up a notch. He sees the men and he sees what others cannot see. He sees the need for the men, but a need that the others have not acknowledged. That is, he sees that the greatest need this paralytic has is to have his sins be forgiven. And in his rich mercy and grace leads him to tell him, Son, your sins are forgiven. And now the crowd is really confused. And evidently very disappointed at the same time. I mean, for the crowds that are following Jesus for the show, they're probably thinking, oh, come on now. We're here for the show. Let's, let's see the healing. For the friends of the paralytic guy, they're probably thinking, Jesus, like, that's noble of you, but come on. Like, that's not really why we brought him here. And for the religious leaders, here's the punchline. Aha! We got him! He is a blasphemer. Now, why is that the case? This also talks to the first, to the first point we spoke about. It reinforces it. That the priority of Jesus is to heal spiritually. Not physically. And this brings us to the, to the third point. 
that spiritual healing, that is a forgiveness of one's sins, are on the basis of one's faith. Scripture is very clear that all of humanity, regardless of our physical or socioeconomic condition, we are all enslaved by sin. John 8, 33 and 34 make that very clear, just to name one spot. So this condition of being in a position where we have the need to be forgiven is the worst condition we could have and die with. And the only answer is what Jesus is doing. He's preaching the gospel. He's letting people know who He is. And this is why this is counterintuitive. The message of Jesus saying, I'm going to forgive you of your sins, makes sense to those that God has opened up the understanding to know and acknowledge that we are sinful people in need of a Savior. But to others, to the rest that are blind, this is utter foolishness. How can it be more important for Jesus to say your sins are forgiven than for Him to heal them? And this is how we see in Scripture over and over and over that the wisdom of God is foolishness to men. A lot of times, either from the pulpit or in conversations or in the academic world, many times Christians try to be liked by secular professors or by the world, by and large. <clears throat> Not to say that we don't have the correct and right arguments to make that will leave people realizing that they're inconsistent in their worldview. Obviously, I believe that. But we should never compromise the message of the gospel in order to attempt to be seen as wise by the world. Because over and over and over, the Bible tells us that the message of the cross is not only offensive to the world, but is foolishness. So, we see here that the most important thing we can do is realize the biggest need a human person has regardless of their physical condition, is the forgiveness of their sins. And that comes by faith. By faith in what? In what Jesus has done. In His perfect life, in His death, in His resurrection. And not only just a death as any other person would have, because He was human, no. But a substitutionary death in our place, because we deserve punishment. We deserve the wrath of God. And He took that for us. And by us acknowledging that and taking that in and realizing, wow, my only hope to pay the disobedience and the penalty that that demands is for me to put my trust in Christ. And on the basis of that faith, then the righteousness of Jesus is made 
accountable to us. It's attributed to us. So we can see that the forgiveness of the sins of this paralytic guy did not come. Did not come because of anything he did. Or because, well, poor guy, you know, he's suffering. So let us kind of throw him a bone. No. He was undeserving of this healing. Even if he had kept, as we are often prone to hear in our days, even if he kept a good life, that would not have been enough. Because by the works of the law, no man will be justified. So, just when the audiences thought that Jesus could be no more controversial, now Jesus is really pushing it. He is publicly declaring something that could be attributed only to God Almighty. So the plot thickens. We'll take verses 6 through 9 in one chunk since it's, uh, it encompasses the whole thought there. Verses 6 through 9 reads, Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. The scribes here, as we see here, they have come to the perfect opportunity to finally catch Jesus in a theological trap, as they thought. And up to this point, this is probably the clearest spot in which they could say, Aha, we got him. He's a blasphemer. Because he's claiming to do what only God can do. And blasphemy is punishable by death. Okay? And just to take a quick moment here to look at the reasoning of the scribes, of the religious people of that time who knew a lot of theology. So their syllogism went something like this. They said, only God can forgive sins. Yes. This man just told this paralytic that his sins were forgiven. And their conclusion, therefore, since we know he's not God, he's a blasphemer. Now, in retrospect, if we acknowledge who Jesus is, we could see where the fallacy is. Their two points initially are correct. Only God can forgive sins, and Jesus just told this man that his sins were forgiven. Evidently by him, by Jesus. But then, being rich in their theological knowledge, they take a turn to the wrong conclusion. Jesus is a blasphemer. Where if they had been 
granted to know the knowledge of the mysteries of God, they, they would have said, wow. I mean, at the very least, this man could be God. Nope, that was not an option. And hence, their error. Another note about this is that Jesus takes them to task and tries to reason with them even in their own scholarly ground. What do I mean by that? In preparing for this study, I came across a theologian who made an observation about a common belief of rabbis and religious folks of the time. I'll quote what he has to say. He said, quote, The rabbis had a saying, There is no sick man healed of his sickness until all his sins have been forgiven him. So to the Jews, a sick man was a man with whom God was angry. Unquote. This was by Barclay. So Jesus, knowing even in the flawed way that the scribes thought, he even throws him a bone, acknowledging that someone will not be healed according to their flawed understanding until the sins of that person are fully forgiven. So of the scribes who oppose Jesus, that only God can forgive sins. And we also see that in this, in this verse, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. This is a reference to Daniel chapter 7, where the Son of Man is seen as the King of Glory, who will come with absolute authority. So Jesus is making that claim. Now, another... Another note to make here. The reason why everyone was so amazed and blown, their minds were blown, is because they knew this guy was a true paralytic. Why do I say that? I mean, it's even silly that I should mention this, but in our day, a lot of charlatan preachers on TV will have big audiences in which they have planted fake sick people. And what do they do? They will claim to do a miracle or to heal someone. And, you know, everyone, just this chaos of uh, people just yelling and screaming and um, going in their frenzy or what have you. And then the next portion of that episode is something like, and you can be healed too if you send me some money. Right? So, this was not the case. The people here knew for a fact that this paralytic person was in this state probably for a very long time. So they could not deny that the miracle had taken place. And therefore, that what Jesus stated about forgiving sins is true. Which brings us to our fifth and final point. It says that the crowd was amazed. But they did not 
turn to Jesus and become converted for the forgiveness of their own sins. There's been a constant theme here in the Gospel of Mark in which the accounts that he's telling are miracles after miracles. The crowds are amazed. But it's apparent that only a very few people, if any, in the massive crowds are the ones who actually come to believe in Jesus and are forgiven. This speaks volume to how we should not let ourselves get carried away by signs and wonders and healings. Because if we do experience these things, it has no guarantee that we will focus on God. And as a matter of fact, The wrong focus and all those other things could actually lead us astray. Seeking for more and more of these emotional highs and services and activities. Recently, I read a quote that really applies in this case from John MacArthur. Which I'll I'll quote it here. It says, quote, How can a deceived person know he is deceived? How can we spot someone who is deceived? Look for people who are seeking feelings, blessings, experiences, healings, angels, or whatever, that are only interested in the byproducts of the experiences of the faith, not in Christ. Unquote. Now this is very applicable for us here. Because we can see that it is a warning for us not to be interested only in the byproducts of the faith. Because yes, it is true. The byproducts of following our Lord and Savior is that He might provide healing. He is merciful and He shows us grace after grace. And if He's willing, He will show us much favor which will in turn brings us emotions of joy and thanksgiving and of praise. But that is not the goal or the objective of why we follow Jesus. We follow Jesus because He is worthy, not because He can fill our bellies and keep us healthy and wealthy. So we need to always be correcting our path to not let ourselves get carried away by the wonders that God can do. And we, we should not live expecting for God to act in that manner because as we saw here, that is not why He came. So in review, what have we learned? Just quickly, the five points that we touched Jesus views spiritual wellness more important than physical wellness. Number two, God uses means to bring ourselves to Him. In this case, He used the four friends of the paralytic guy. Three, spiritual healing, that is the forgiveness of one's sins, happen on the basis of one's faith. Number four, Jesus once again claims and proves His divinity. Jesus is God. 
Almighty in the flesh. And number five, the crowds were amazed, but they did not convert and turn to Jesus and kneel before Him for the forgiveness of their own sins. So that brings us to ask ourselves here in closing. Are you a spiritual paralytic? If you don't have the certainty of being forgiven by God for all your sins, you certainly are a spiritual paralytic. And today is the day that you have come before the great physician that can provide you the healing that you need. That is the forgiveness of your sins. Not to say that he won't take care of your physical needs. Yes, that might happen as well. But the greatest need that you have, being unable to help yourself, spiritually speaking, is by Him becoming your Savior and healing you in that sense. On the other hand, if you're no longer a spiritual paralytic and you are a believer, what are you doing to bring those that are spiritually paralytic around you to bring them to Christ? What are you doing? Just like the faithful four friends were persistent, they would not take no for an answer, you too should have the same attitude towards those that you love and that you have influence over so that they too may know Christ. Let us remember that the fact that Jesus came and to this day he views our spiritual well-being above the physical well-being. As I mentioned, that is hard to take as humans, as being in the flesh. As I mentioned, especially when we have family members that may be in sickness. But the encouragement that we have is that if we trust Jesus, when Jesus saw the paralytic man, Jesus saw the need that he had of being healed. And if not anywhere else in Scripture, we see here that Jesus is saying, the greatest need that you have, my son, is for me to forgive you of your sins. And we should take heed of that statement and internalize that and reflect upon and then meditate on that. And ask God to let us understand and believe that the most important thing He can do for us is to forgive us of our sins rather than to heal us physically. Because this paralytic man could have been healed and if his sins were not forgiven, he would have walked into hell. So the eternal should always be in perspective. And if we struggle with that, we're not alone. Let us be encouraged in that and knowing that Jesus has our best interest, our best eternal interest for us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for speaking to us, for letting us know that you are able to heal, not only physically, but more importantly, spiritually. And that we would see ourselves as 
the paralytic, that we are unable to heal ourselves, or let alone to come to you on our own will, but that you may use your means to draw us to you. Whether it is to know you for the first time as Savior, or to come to you day after day, Lord, in pleading with you to have grace and mercy upon us as we go through this life of the Christian, of regeneration and transformation day by day, Lord. And our sanctification, that we may look back and we may praise you for the work that you have done in us. We pray you be with us now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.